0: Well, hey everybody, welcome to the podcast. Today's episode, we are going to talk sidewall pressure, pulling tension, and insulation resistance. And we're obviously we're talking about pulling conductors or cables inside of a raceway. And I'm gonna to talk to you about the industry, what we do and what we don't do, and maybe some fallacies that come with Meg testing that people seem to take that as gospel. That's what they're taught, but really... Um, There's some fallacies in there that we want to discuss. We want to try to keep it to the point. Um, So let's just jump right in it. So traditionally, what I'm seeing in the industry is that, and we're getting a little more today than we used to, uh, is that people are really focused, engineers and designers and electricians, are really focused on dealing with Chapter 9, Table 1, when it comes to raceway fill. So we use Chapter 4, I mean Table 4 and Table 5, of chapter nine, in order to determine the the number of conductors in a raceway, and that so that we don't exceed if it's you know over two conductors, we're not exceeding forty percent raceway fill, and if it's a single conductor, then we're not exceeding fifty three percent fill. That's all in accordance with chapter nine, table one, and we're not really thinking about the other aspects of the install. Okay, is that well? Many times people will jump to a larger size raceway just because they, they go, okay, here's the minimum size and I'll just jump another size or I'll jump two sizes. Um, and they realize that that's not always the answer because you have something called jam effect. And it really is a science about how those conductors are going to lay in that raceway as they come to those bends. And when you get too big, then they end up falling into a cradle format, and sometimes that can cause a jamming or a crushing effect as it tries to go around that bin. Um, so, you don't always want to just go to the next size. Do your calculation, take what the code says, go with that. Um, if you jump one size, maybe that's okay. If you jump one size, because you might want to put another conductor in there at some point, uh, you really have to do that calculation out. Um, we have, you know, and, and I'm going to. Explain to you what we do. You know, when I consult for this type of thing, uh, I use a pulling calculation software that I helped give input on, and it's through many different versions. And now I can I helped give them advice on uh, some of the components that are in it. Uh, that, that electricians would want or engineers would want so I think it's probably the best pulling calculator out there um, but I'm not ready to promote it uh, because again there's many of them out there and I don't want anybody to get offended because I do consulting for a lot of companies and I just I'm just gonna gonna say there's one out there that we use uh, and uh, and I helped give advice on it uh, and it's a good pulling calculator it looks at the sidewall pressure it looks at the pulling tension. It looks at all those factors uh, based on the input. Now, again, with any calculation, crap in, crap out. So you have to know what you're putting into it. What I'm finding today is most of the engineers who have all the data we need, maybe isometric drawing, the angles, the, the uh, raceways being used, the... Uh, conductors their you know weight we get all that from the manufacturers and, and we do it but they don't really do the calculation uh, and I know this because being a plans examiner and an engineer uh, too for the city of Richmond uh, I, I got for years I looked at this and I saw that nobody's doing these I'm not seeing any pull calculations anywhere um, and I, I'm a kind of the believer that anytime you're going to pull anything in a raceway that it gets to four-aught copper or 250 aluminum and larger that you really should do a pull calculation. One, for the protection of the liability uh, for you, the installer, to have this information saying, well, look, based on the values, based on the information here, I'm not going to have any potential issues to the sidewall damage uh, of my insulation, which is vital to the longevity of that conductor's usage. Um, And I'm not going to exceed the maximum pulling tension with a cushion factor on it. I'm not going to exceed that so that um, I don't have any issue of elongation of insulation or elongation of copper um, in my installation. I'm not going to have any potential problems. You know, ultimately, wire is one big fuse. If you elongate it or stretch it out or whatever, then something could happen at any given time. So you want to protect it. Obviously that's the the, the same as the, the veins and the vessels in your body. Um, if you create a problem with the wire, then everything else is going to fail. So the wire is feeding the lifeblood of the system and it, you want to make sure that the integrity of that's maintained. Well, I think we take it for granted a lot and we don't do pull calculations and they're simple. Or you can get a consultant to do that for you and it take them no more than 20 minutes if you give them all the information. Um. So the problem is for liability. So I'm an electrical contractor. I was doing pull calculations all the way back in the day when people weren't doing pull calculations. Only when I got up to things like 250 kcmil and larger, because I just wanted to make sure I wasn't going to have an issue. Uh, more and more now, people are trying to do them, but I am not seeing it. And I deal with these on a daily basis, whether I do them for people, whether I'm doing a pull calc. Um, and there's simple forms that they can fill out and and the the calculation could be done very quickly, or people do it themselves, then that's perfectly fine. Now, there's online ones that you can use. Some manufacturers provide these online ones. I'd be careful um, because... Obviously, they're not like any of us, they're not going to have any liability, they're going to have enough disclaimers. But you got to make sure that you're familiar with how you're putting it in and it really depicts your pull. Because if it doesn't depict a pull, then it goes to court. If something fails, then you're going to be eaten up. Because all I have to do is show that this one degree or two degrees or one radial bend that's not shown, or one change in elevation, or one thing that you didn't take into consideration. And then it's all going to start crumbling for you. So it's important that you get them right. Now, in the real world, maybe you don't have a problem. So if I'm not exceeding the raceway fill of over two conductors at 40%, and I do everything I need to do in Chapter 9, Table 4, Table 5, and I determine my raceway fill, most electricians think we're okay. Um, The problem is you can also not exceed the 360 to between pull points for whatever raceway system you're using, and still exceed sidewall pressure or exceed the maximum pulling tension or have a problem with both, even though in your mind you still didn't exceed the 360 degrees worth of bends between pull points because you're not taking into account the degrees of slope. You're not taking into account long horizontal runs where you have all that gravitational force pulling those conductors down. Uh, I can tell you an example. You can have as much as eight and nine pounds per foot of cable or conductors that are that are that are really pulling down gravitationally in that raceway and then all those conductors depending on how they're laying in the raceway creating friction now you're using pulling lubricant Um, pulling lubricant will dry out as you pull it due to friction if you've ever had hands after a long day of work they look good and clean and then you rub them together and create some heat and what do you get you get these little lines on your hand that's the that's the dirt that's the grime Uh, and that becomes friction so same thing can happen in again plying too much pulling lubricant can be the same as not plying enough so you have to understand that many of the manufacturers now provide conductors that have lubricant already applied and in many cases that might be all you need Uh, some manufacturers will say you can't add additional pulling lubricant and some manufacturers will say it's perfectly fine to add additional pulling lubricant where necessary Um, you really check with your manufacturer and see if it's whatever's okay. I'm a big advocate for pulling lubricant, uh, whether it's already applied or you apply your own, um, because I think you need anything that's going to help that pull. I'm also a big advocate for using your pull points. Um, there are a lot of people that will ex- not exceed 360 between bends, uh, between pull points, but they're actually not using that pull point. If you're not using that pull point and you're pulling through it, then you can't calculate in that pull point. Now you might meet the code, which says you can't have more than 360 degrees worth of bends between pull point uh, in that raceway system, but you're not using it. And if you're not using it, then you shouldn't factor it in. And so it's more like a straight pull. So um, that's important for you to look at as well if you're not gonna use that pull point. Um, Just putting it in in order to meet code is, is not the way to do it. And of course, I see that all the time. And of course, if you do pull one in, and you size the pull box wrong, you didn't follow 314.28, and you put it in wrong, uh, then at that point, uh, of course we're talking larger conductors here, uh, if you put it in wrong at that point, then it's pointless anyway, right? It's not really a pull box. It's just there. It didn't meet the code. So all those things you have to take into consideration. A lot of people do this to try to get around code. I get it, but it's not the way to be. Um, So let's talk maximum pulling tension real quick so what is that so the maximum pulling tension is the amount of pulling tension that's going to be applied to the conductors as they're pulled through a raceway system through the 90s now of course we all know that when you design your system you want to set up your pull so that you try to go through the majority of the bends at the first part of your pull uh, you don't want to save bends to the end of your pull okay uh, enough calculations that i have not done the analysis on, and, my, and the software that I use allows me to look at it from both degrees, you know, both angles of the pull, in order to optimize which pull direction is probably the best, uh, the, the greatest chance of success, if you will. And um, what happens is, um, in some areas, if you, you go through the bends at the last point, that the the pull is fine until you get to the end, and you've got all that weight that's, that's in the raceway, and now you're trying to pull it horizontally through different bends. And then you're pulling it from horizontal to a vertical or whatnot. And that becomes an issue and it increases the pulling tension. Uh, and if you've got bends at the end, it also causes that sidewall pressure issue to come into effect that you've got to take into consideration. Because I can tell you right now, when we manufacture a wire, the insulation thicknesses becomes what's called the average. So we can be a little thicker here, there, but the average has to be a certain value depending on the conductor size and, and, and all that based on that UL standard. So for thermoplastic wire, which is THHN, THWN-2, uh, for example, then you're gonna have what's called UL83. Now UL83 is going to give us what that average thickness needs to be depending on the size. Now, if I don't take some severe issues into consideration with the bends and, and the angles and what we're dealing with, then I could crush that insulation. Now, it was compliant when it left the factory but it's and UL doesn't really have any play once it's installed. Once it's installed, it didn't, it's not like it loses its UL listing because that was the UL listing that it was produced to. But now you're damaging it in the field. And when you damage it because you don't take things into consideration like a pull calculation that's going to give you sidewall pressures uh, and all these type of things to observe, then it becomes a problem. And that is a potential point of failure because now you have crushed and it could be crushed against the raceway it could be crushed against other conductors in there so then you have two crush points uh you could have put a bare equipment grounding conductor in there and now you crush it against a bare which copper or aluminum is not very forgiving against insulation um or it could you know I'm a big advocate for always installing insulated equipment grounding conductors, even when you don't have to, uh, in certain cases, uh, because I like to have that cushion, even though the insulation value on the equipment grounding conductor is irrelevant. Uh, we're really worried about, uh, except in areas, obviously, in the code where you're required to be insulated equipment grounding conductor, like 517.13A and B for healthcare facility applications and other areas of the code that require that. In reality, I'm trying to reduce the potential damage. Okay? That's what we're after, that's what we're going for. Uh, and so the insulation helps protect that conductor uh, and that's the volatile point. It's not so much the conductor. So, so we have to think about the sidewall pressure. Now, uh, let's talk about maximum pulling tension. Let's get into that one. So when I'm pulling a conductor through there, I have to take into consideration. So there's a formula. This is a pretty simple formula. Now, we're not going to get into the formula for the maximum sidewall pressure. I say I'm going to give you a value to use in your software, uh, and there is a formula for that, Uh, but I'm going to give you the formula for the maximum pulling tension, and I'm going to give you what I call my cushion factor, and this is what all people should take into consideration, and it's my opinion. Whether you can agree or disagree, that's fine, but I'm going to give you my opinion, my show. I'm going to do it, Uh, and that's based on my years of, of analyzing wire, looking at it, installing it looking at applications where I saw that it didn't exceed the maximum pulling tension. However, I ended up witnessing sidewall damage. And people said, well, it pulled like butter, but yet there was still sidewall damage. And when you do the calculation, it showed sidewall damage was predicted. And this is because even though it didn't exceed the maximum pulling tension, it's still a critical issue when it comes to that sidewall crushing of the actual insulation as it enters and exits that bend. Okay. So, now a maximum pulling tension. How should we calculate it? Well, if you're using aluminum, then you wanna remember a constant, and that is .006. If you're doing copper, you wanna remember a constant of .008, okay? And so, in our case here, we're gonna use copper, so .008. Now, you simply do the K constant, .008, times the number of conductors. If I'm gonna pull, let's say, let's say I'm gonna pull four um, uh, A, B and C legs and we're going to pull a grounded conductor. So I'm gonna pull four, four, uh, 400 KC mil, okay? And so what I wanna do with that is I'm gonna pull four 400 KC mils. So I'm gonna go uh, .008 times four times 400,000, because that's what the actual circular mill is of a 400K, okay? All right, so in that math, I do that, and that's going to ultimately give me uh, the total calculation is, let's go on and let's do the math, and that would be 12,800, Right? Okay, so I've got 12,800. Well, that is your maximum pulling tension based on a calculated value, okay? A pretty well-known industry formula. However, I also believe that since most tuggers are limited to 10K, uh, you can get 6Ks, and that's perfectly fine if you do your calculation, but we're limited to 10K, and most pulls aren't going to be near 6, although there are some allowances for some vertical heavy loads and a lot of bends that still doesn't exceed 360, but could push you up there. You have to analyze the whole thing, but in our case, I do what's called the, the Cush Factor, and that is, you take that 12,800, which was the maximum pulling tension for four 400 KC mils, and I do that times 75%. And that drops it down to 9,600. Again, just under the 10,000 max, Okay, which means it's okay. That's fine. But you can use it with a 10, but you have to observe your pulling values that are on these tuggers. And incidentally, a plug for iTool. They make great tuggers. Okay, uh, and you can able to, to keep a constant eye on this pulling tension. But the reason we want this cushion is so now I plug this into the program that we do the uh, the calculations, and that becomes our threshold. Okay, we've already figured in that seventy five percent. Now, if you want to do it at the full maximum pulling tension, that's perfectly fine. It's up to you. But look, I'm an electrician. I am wanting to realize that you really I shouldn't come anywhere near that. Really for all intents and purposes. Um, so I want to have that factor built in. So I use that value. And so I plug that in. And I'm going to make sure that no point in my pull do I exceed 9,600, which is that 75% threshold um, on those four 400 KC mills. Now, other people ask me, well, what if I have an equipment ground conductor run with that? And it's smaller. Well, then what happens is I don't equate that into the pool. Uh, that usually will sit nicely into the interstices of the pool, or it'll fall around in there. It's not that big of a deal. So I personally discount that. However, when we put this into a software, it takes that into account because we plug all of those values in there. Okay. So if you do it by software, then it's not a concern. But I'm just kind of give you how you do it, and I can discount it out. So. And that's how we would do it. Now, if it was uh, the same concept and it was aluminum, then I would do .006 times four times 400,000. And that's 9,600 pounds of pulling tension, maximum pulling tension. And I do that times 75%, and that is 7,200, okay? Aluminum a little softer, insulation is still the same okay but the aluminum is a little softer and we're trying to go and, and build this fudge factor so i usually tell people not to exceed the 75 percent threshold so do your calc and then limit it to 75 percent of that and it, usually i've never seen an issue where that's ever been an issue or problem when you've done it that way okay remembering that we have softwares and the software that i use uh for people when i'm doing this calculation um for engineering firms and you know those just send me a, a bunch of them to do and i do them all in a block in uh And so, usually I do this fudge factor, you know, I I put the fudge factor in there, okay? All right, so that's how we do the maximum pulling tension with our cushion on it. Um, Simple calculation, simple value. Now, sidewall pressure, totally different issue, because I can have a pulling calculation come out with maybe only 2,500 pounds of tension, which is perfectly well within the norm, Um, depending on the conductors we're using. When conductors get smaller, then obviously those values are going to be smaller. Um, But what happens is now I've got to worry about, well, I've got weight and I've got distance and I've got these bends and I have to look at what it is once I go and how close the bends are together. One of the biggest things that kills you is if I have a 90 to 90 or pretty close bends, um, that can all of a sudden cause havoc, not only on your pull, but also on this sidewall pressure concern. So uh, if I have 30 30 degree bends that are basically horizontal to a 30, it almost goes straight into another 30 to get it back, maybe you're just trying to change elevation or change, Um, that can be devastating to a pull. So you need to analyze it. So in your mind, you might look at it and say, wow, everything looks horizontal. It's not so bad. But then you have these elevation changes, and you have these degrees of bends that you have to account for. Um, and really, it's the, it's the angles that, in the size of the conductors, in the stiffness of the conductor, that trying to bend it in close proximity to another bend can cause that wire to have potential sidewall damage. And you're thinking, well, geez, it's just a 30-degree bend, or it's just a 22-degree bend, or 45. In a software, all those things are going to come out. And the softwares are all based on formulas that you could do by hand, but why would you today? I know people say, well, I like to do it old school. I like to do that. Whatever. Uh, You know what? We're not going back. If you bought a flat screen TV, you're not going back to the old tube style, right? Get over it. You know, you want to say, well, it's good to know the full calculation. Whatever. Um, You're not going to have one of these on a test, okay? So you're not going to remember those formulas. But... um, and, and don't get me wrong, there's other formulas that I do teach that I want you to commit to memory, uh, just enough to pass a test. But we're not talking about one now, so, you know, don't worry about it. All right, so if you need to do... So everybody should do pull calculations when you're dealing with something that would be 4 out and larger for copper or uh, 250 aluminum larger of of aluminum. You should always do a pull calculation. It's not just about whether or not you're exceeding the raceway fill. That is important. But you're also concerned about the bends, how close the bends are to each other, um, the, the angles, the you know, and all this stuff. People people do pull calculations all the time, and they really don't take into I've seen tons of them, guys. On calculations that are sent to me on failed installations, that the people who did them didn't take into account angles. They didn't take into account that yes, there's a 30 to 30 bend offset, but did you realize that you have to account for the fact that in the software you have to put in there that the conductors are now traveling, even if it's for a short distance, at an angle of 30 degrees? I see it all the time, and I go, it makes a difference. And When I redo the pull calculation, then it shows an issue. And I go, well, see, you, you got to take, so it's not, it, it's easy to do, but you really have to have somebody who's skilled at looking at on the site and doing it. And so I hate to be called in after the fact and have to prove somebody wrong and, and have to tell them that there's probably, it's not that I'm a know-it-all, dude, you can do it. Anybody can do it. You just have to look at the install and say, well, and the easiest way to do it is I simply, in many cases, uh, will have, um, there's an app on my phone that I'm able to hold up to it and push dots at certain percentages. And it will actually tell me the bend. It will actually tell me the angles. Uh, you can also do this. If you can get to the raceways, you can actually measure it and you can get them. If you had to analyze it, usually you can just look at the, 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 whatever the elbow is they put in or offset or, or anything like that. But if they bend them in the field, you don't know what angles they've been at. So I have apps that I use for that type of stuff and tools to do that. Um, if I get called in after the fact, I don't want to be called in after the fact. I want you to do it right the first time. Uh, if Look, at the end of the day, I care about the electrician. And any electrician that's doing an installation and the engineer doesn't do these pull calculations and things for you and they're available, um, you as an electric contractor, I would do them. Because somebody's going to argue in the field or somebody's going to argue in court if everything anything ever fails and they contact an expert and we're all going to throw a lawsuit at anybody. We're going to throw it at everybody. Um, And you look at it, and you're going to go, no, they didn't account for that 45, or no, they didn't account for that angle, that degree, and that makes a difference. And then you're in court, you're going to have people arguing that it makes a difference, and you're going to have people that argue that it makes no difference. And the one that says it makes a difference, and if I can show you on a printout that it makes a difference, you're going to lose. And so protect yourself. Always do it. If you're an electrical contractor and you're small, medium size, and you're, you're getting into this, contact us. I'll do the pull calculation for you, okay? I don't want you to fall into that trap of a lawsuit, okay? We'll do them very inexpensive, very cheap, and, it, and you can keep it, print it out, keep it in your file. Uh, again, it's only going to be as good as the data, so we have a form that you have to fill out, and... You know, and you have to fill it out because it's no different. If you know, we're not doing engineering design; we're doing consulting confirmation of the pool, and that's what we're doing. Okay, Um, but again, you can do it yourself. Just make sure you be leery of the online systems or the online programs. Be very leery of those because sometimes they don't have all the factors that can be added. Um, The independent softwares are the best way to go. Okay, trust me. Uh, And again, uh, I worked with a company to help add. Suggestions to the product as it went through different versions. So there is things that are always left out, even by the big manufacturers of the product. Okay, um, so so that's the sidewall, and so I mean, so let's talk about sidewall a little bit. So what are the values you want to use in your sidewall maximum sidewall pressure? Well, typically when you're dealing in conductors that are eight gauge and smaller, then we don't want to exceed more than about three hundred. Five hundred, depending on whether it's THHN versus XHHW, um, you don't want to exceed more than five hundred pounds per radial foot of sidewall pressure. And then we say radial foot of bend. For example, if it's a, if I told you that it was, uh, say, uh, uh, a twelve gauge, all right, um, then I would say you had a bunch of twelve gauges in there or whatnot, and I would say okay. So the the the, rate, the, the values that you would use would be, let's say, uh, you, every manufacturer is a little different. Uh, if you want to use a boilerplate for everything, you know, then I would probably say use 600 pounds per radial foot. Okay? It's, if, if you had a boilerplate uh, for that. Um, but when you're dealing in things that are smaller, then I tend to move down and say you should fall into you know, maybe the 300 pounds per radial foot uh, when you're dealing with things that are eight gauge and smaller, okay, just for because the insulation is much thinner. Um, but most of the time, if I'm asked, uh, there's occasions where we will have a thousand pounds per radial foot, depending on the size of conductors, the number of them, uh, maybe even how they're maybe plexed prior to installation, uh, and some of those things, and, and we will consult with you on what what we say you should use. Um, but reality is if I had to give you a boilerplate, then I would probably say uh, that as long as I stayed eight and smaller, stay to about 600 pounds per radial foot. Uh, if you're using MC cable, uh, then I would say stick to 300 pounds per radial foot if you're putting MC or AC in a raceway. Um, uh, if you're dealing with things that are over eight, then you could probably go up to a thousand pounds per radial foot, but again, it, that would be my recommendation for cross-linked polyethylene uh, XHHW. If you were dealing with THHN, then uh, you know, case by case basis. Then I would stay more long this 600 pounds per radial foot uh, for a thermoplastic as a general baseline again if you have questions we can consult tell me the type of wire you're using and what you're doing how many conductors and that type of thing and I will look at the insulation thicknesses and and we can give you adjusted values and that's what we do when we consult for that Uh, but I'm just showing you averages that the manufacturers would say Um, there are some manufacturers that say look if you use 600 volt uh, or uh, up to 2,400 volt non-shielded power conductors or cables, then you can go up to a thousand pounds per of sidewall pressure per radio foot of bend. Okay, um, each manufacturer is different, so just consult with the manufacturer on what they recommend because it's their wire. Um, so I'm just giving you some rule of thumbs. But let's just do a value. Let's say I'm pulling conductor, and I want to be ultra conservative, and I'm going to do uh, 600 pounds. All right, so I would do 600 pounds. Uh, let's say it's a two-foot bend. Okay, the radial is two foot. Most of them aren't going to be. Most of them, you know, probably going to be 18 inches or whatnot. But let's do two feet because it makes it simple math. So 600 uh, of times uh, the uh, number of feet radial bend, which is two. So it's 600 times two. So that's 1,200. So the amount that's coming out of that bend should not exceed 1,200 pounds. Okay. So that was 600 times two because it was a two-foot radial bend okay and that's the inner radius okay not the overall length of the actual elbow okay in um, this course is the same thing whether it's an elbow a 45 a 22 30 whatever the bend is uh, you can determine what the radius point of it is and of course i have uh, documents from the different manufacturers of EMT, PVC, all the different ones in order to be able to look at their standard bins. Uh, but when you don't have a standard bin, um, then we would use the whatever the degrees that the, they did in the field and equate it to a factory bin and use those values. Okay? And it's got a good good reliable results from that. And so in this case you're not to see 12. So in a software we're gonna put a value that you're not to exceed per foot okay and then the software is going to calculate it out all right okay um so that is your there's, you really there's we don't want to do the formula for that that's just a value that we input into the software in order to be able to do that um so that is your maximum sidewall put for now again the issue is that you're crushing it you're crushing that insulation and You're not violating the UL listing because that's what it needed to be produced. You're crushing it. You're damaging it in the field. Now, what's the problem with damaging it? Well, if you damage it next to two conductors, um, then you have the potential weak point, and eventually that damage... Uh, is going to potentially allow moisture to get through that because typically insulation is is pretty good resistance to that. But there is no perfect insulation. That's how MEG readings work. That's how an insulation resistance works. It's playing on the weaknesses of the insulation and looking for those weaknesses. Remembering that all insulation uh, allows for a certain level of leakage of current through it. It's just not a perfect. There's no perfect insulator. Um, So if you crush it, then you increase the chances of it fail. Now, couple that with a flooded raceway, then you have other issues that you have to worry about, okay? All right, now, that's kind of the sidewall. So, encouraging you to do cable pulls, calculations, whatever. Let's talk about insulation resistance real quick. The fallacies of insulation resistance. Now, we're taught in schools to measure uh, with a meg meter, measure A to B, B to C, A to C, all to ground. Um, in order to detect any... Remember, you have to have a supply and return for these meters to work. That's why you got two leads, right? Um, the fallacy is people put this in the ground, put raceways in the ground, and everything's insulated. They test one conductor and they stick one end into the ground or they go to earth and they think that they're going to get any reliable result. They're not. Not on MEG testing, okay? Uh, I know that they think they will, but you are not. I do not care what you think. You will not get reliable readings, Okay. Um, And I know this for a fact because I actually did calls to the manufacturer of these meters and point blank asked them were they designed to test conductors in the way they were being taught. And it will work... Uh, when you have damaged conductors that are side by side it will work if you have a metallic raceway that you can actually get a reading on um, but if you have all insulated parts i have them on tape saying that these these meters aren't designed for that they're great for motors they're great for transformers they're great for things that test the integrity of electrical equipment uh, whether or not they the frame is bonded to they're great for that Okay, um, Weaknesses of insulation uh, that are in those type of systems. But when it comes to wire and cable, uh, they're problematic because if everything is insulated, how are you getting a good return path? Okay, It's, the, it's not just gonna flow on the insulator. It's, not, it's supposed to be an insulator, right? So you're not gonna get a return. So if I have two conductors, let's say I'm measuring A to B. If there's no damage to A to B, and you're testing the insulation resistance, then if there's damage to A, the chances of you getting any reliable readings back on B to to complete that reading is pointless. Because I'm putting voltage in, and usually it's anywhere between 500 volts to 1,000 volts for a meg test. I'm trying to get a reading back, and I'm trying to measure those levels of current leakage in order to have it equate to a value. Uh, And it's just nearly impossible to get any reliable readings, although that's what we're taught all the time to do that. Uh, I have some little trick processes that I use, uh, and again, I consult with people on how to do this, but I can tell you right now that you're never going to get zero. You're never going to get infinities. You're you're never going to get any of those. You're going to get meg readings that are going to appear things to be okay, uh, and they're not reliable readings. Uh, But in any case, here's your trigger. If you ever get meg readings that are lower than two, okay, two mega ohms, Okay? Now I've written an article called Two to Ninety Nine, but if you ever get a reading where it's below two or in the kilo ohms or in just in the megs, um, then there's a chance that you possibly have damage in close proximity to conductors. Okay, um, and that's the best you can go on. Uh, but if I get something that's in the two mega ohms or higher, that doesn't necessarily mean that that's bad insulation. Okay, it could be humidity, it could be other contaminating factors. Um, It could be length of run, which expose more porosity to the insulation. You have to take all these things into consideration. Now, there are experts out there who say that, no, you can test A to B, and if you get low meg readings, and I I actually witnessed a couple experts doing tests, and uh, they did the test, in my opinion, incorrect. And based on the manufacturer's recommendations in their literature, they did it incorrect. Um, And if you look at most of the manufacturer's literature, you're going to see that most of them deal with a test that has a metallic raceway, or it's on medium voltage. It has a, a inner core and an outside berated control, okay, a grounded point or a ground shield, grounding shield that they can utilize, okay. Um, and that measures in, in the. But when we're talking about insulated building wire, it is nearly impossible, okay. Um, but I'm not going to. I'm just going to leave it at that. There are tips that I do teach people about how to test wires when you get low readings in order to determine whether or not there's potential damage, whether it's forklift damage or whatnot. Uh, Obviously, it's I'm not going to get into that here. Um, That's what we do for consulting. Um, But at the end of the day, don't always believe what your meg readings are because if you, I contacted these guys and I recorded the conversation while I was in a one-party state, so illegally. Only I needed to know what was being recorded. And I asked these questions and I recorded it. And I have that. And this leading manufacturers of some of these these, uh, meters. And they were never really designed to do this. Can you do it? Yes. Medium voltage, perfect example. Shielded products, perfect. Now, let me give you another example of a shielded product or a cable that would be hard pressed to do anything. MC cable. MC cable has a polymeric wrap between the conductors and the armor. It's a binder material. I have done extensive tests, and you cannot get readings from the insulated conductor to the armor unless there's a breach or damage to the armor that penetrates the actual um, polymeric material in close proximity to the conductor that's damaged. Or you have enough damaged inner binder that you can get that potential porous leakage from the conductor based on the voltage that we apply to it and get a return path on the armor. Okay, But armor itself being the way that it is, um, then there is also a high level of resistance that's in that armor. That's why we have things like smart grounds or MCAPs or things. Because you know, MC cable, you can't use the armor as an effective ground fault current path unless you get one of those specialty type products. AC cable, different story. You can use the armor. In UL4, the armor can be used as an equipment ground conductor under 250.118. It's clearly written that you could then you might have the ability to do that the problem is most of those products have an inter wrap or binder that makes it hard to get any kind of readings on it and we've done this in tests so in a perfect world i have a metal raceway with individual conductors pulled in it rigid intermediate uh, ENT, things like that, which I can actually use the armor as a potential return path. In another perfect world, if it's underground, then it's flooded, so that help bridges that return path over to the armor, okay? Uh, but if it's a PVC raceway that's flooded, then it's pretty hard for you to get any return readings, okay? Um, so I tell people, don't always believe what your mega tells you. Uh, always consult the manufacturer of the wire and cable with whatever readings you get so you can get guidance from them. Um, But at the end of the day, it's up to you to determine whether or not they're pulling it out or not. That's totally your decision, not the manufacturer's decision. Uh, And you got to base it on something. So many people use what's called the NIDA standard. And the NIDA standard says for new installations that what's considered acceptable is any readings that are 100 megaohms or higher. Um, And that's fine for a new installation um, to do that. I don't have a, we don't have no I don't have a problem with that either but I can tell you you can still have damage to conductors and you're still going to get a reading that's going to be higher than 100 mega ohms now if you get readings that are lower than that let's say 2 to 99 again it doesn't mean the installations bad it literally doesn't but we but the need had to create a standard somewhere for an acceptance test um, but I rarely see that so I encourage people test your wire before you install it. Um, if it's you know, just test it at the moment that it's installed, uh, and then test it afterwards. And then I usually tell people to create a baseline, which is the values that you tested it at, and then test it again six months to a year down the road. Uh, because the best values that I get in testing is really the test the need a standard for maintenance. And that is where you set a baseline. And then you can test it, and you'll get a value. I also don't believe in step testing, um, or no spot testing, where you test it. I believe in doing the uh, uh, polarization testing, where it's a full ten minutes. You take a reading after one minute, and then take it ten minutes, and you do the math. That, that's a concept that I'm a bigger believer in. It does take longer time. A step gives you a um, a, point, a spot testing does give you a good instant value, uh, and that's what most people use. Uh, but if you really have a concern with a product and you do a step test and it's low, you immediately, immediately should use one of the other methods of testing. In other words, a uh, polarity testing. Uh, oh, excuse me, a a a um, a ten to one type testing, a polarization test, uh, in order to collaborate with or confirm your spot test. That's my recommendations for that. Okay? So you don't just stop if your spot looks low and go, oh, God, I got it at 50 mega ohms. You got to pull it out. No, don't do that. Go and test it another. And if you don't know how to do it that way, um, it's pretty simple. There's plenty of documents from the manufacturers of the test equipment to test it. And you might be surprised at those more reliable values. Okay? So don't just stop at a certain thing. Um, but... Can the insulation sidewall pressure damage contribute to problems in a MEG test? Absolutely. Because if two conductors are crushed because you didn't do the pull calculation and the pull tension looked okay, but you didn't do a sidewall test and you've damaged those conductors, then you have two conductors that are side by side that have their insulation damaged at that case. And it's not always the damage that might occur between the conductor and the sidewall Of the actual raceway. It can be the conductors that are pulled around. It could be the damaged sidewall. Of the conductor to conductor. And that's the things we have to worry about. So ending this up. Guys I want to tell you. Always do a sidewall. Well I should just say. Always do a pull calculation. On anything 4 and larger for copper. Or 250 and larger for aluminum. And always do those calculations. It only takes a few minutes to do it. It's not that complicated obviously you know your run because you bought them out of Raceway you know what you're installing the engineer should supply you that if you're following it based on the drawings uh, and you can walk it you can walk it I've done it I just came back from a job where I actually walked the job site and could see and, and take note of all of the bends uh, all of the angles and, and, and noted it. it didn't take that, It didn't take that much and unfortunately it had to be in an after effect. But, it, you know, when something went wrong. But at the end of the day, um, it's not difficult to do it. And electricians should be doing this, keeping it in the, in the file for that job uh, so that they can uh, have it in case something comes up down the road. It definitely should. Okay? So, anyway... Kind of just a topic on pulling tension, sidewall pressure, and insulation resistance. Um, should you still test insulation resistance at A to B, B to C, A to A to C, and into ground? Absolutely, because you're looking for immediate damage between two conductors. Okay, uh, but just be aware of your readings and don't take them as gospel. Reach out to the wiring cable manufacturers when you get a certain reading before you just start ripping stuff out, because you might be surprised at some of the advice and tips that they'll be given. Uh, that they will give to you for further testing, okay? Uh, They are the experts on their wire, so they're gonna know these things, all right? So, um, at the end of the day, if you need pull calculations done, um, commercial warning, there you go. Those that don't like it, I gave you a commercial warning. Um, We obviously can do maximum pulling tension, sidewall pressure calcs, full pull calculations. You'll get a printout, or we'll show you what it is from segment to segment. Uh, we'll make recommendations on which way is the best way to make the pull Um, all these type of things uh, can be done through our company again you know just call Electro Code Academy Incorporated or send us an email we're more than happy to do that for you Uh, we'll send you the form uh, in order to do that Uh, it's inexpensive doesn't cost a lot to do that and uh, you have that peace of mind okay Um, so do most people do that on stuff that's smaller? Most they don't. If you, in my experience, if you follow the raceway fill rules, then you're okay for the stuff that's under four out you know, three odd or less. Um, unless you start getting to issues where you're going to exceed the bending and the jurisdiction allows you to do that for whatever weird reason, then I would always do a pull calculation, always, just for your liability. And of course, I would also get in writing that the jurisdiction allowed you to exceed it just just to protect yourself, okay? But anyway, that's our podcast for the day. Hope you got something out of it. Uh, again, there's a need for pull calculations. you got to do them. Don't take them for granted. I don't want to see you in court. I just don't, okay? Call me overly cautious, whatever, but that is the deal. All right, guys, till next time, stay safe. God bless. Looking bright.